Yeah. How are we doing? Hi. How's it going? Very good. It's oh, that's weird. Got some weird glazy thing on my screen. Oh, that's a bit better. I like that. How you doing? I'm I'm good, all things considering. It's yeah. Um it's been it's been an alright day today. I've I've enjoyed myself. <laughs> but let's uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's just been a good day. <laughs> oh today. Okay, good. Nice. What about you? <laughs> I've not really done anything today. Um it's too sunny. You just gotta chill out, relax, get some prosecco, I don't know, at home. I put a little blanket out on the grass, chilled with there's a fox that keeps uh, shitting in my gut. You're not recording it, are you? Oh, you are. <laughs> Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. It's There's a... a fox in my garden and it, it like keeps coming out and shitting on the grass. So every day I have to go and clean it away. It's kind of ruined my um, like afternoon a little bit. But um, other than that. What a sly fox, eh? Way. I know. <laughs> sly little bugger. So, yeah. Just want to say thank you for appearing on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Uh, how's it all been going? How many people have you chatted to so far? If you want to do the numbers, probably nearly 30, I think, so far. Quite a lot. Bloody hell, you've been busy. I think so. I, I think that's another exaggeration that I haven't counted it all, but like there's a few that I've done that are scheduled to reduce later on. But yeah. Um, yeah, podcasting is fun, but my God, it takes a lot of time to load up and it takes eight like, and then also you want to do short clips that takes a bit of time to edit. And then the, the computer takes a long time to load and, but yeah. it's fun at the end of the day. It's fun. I used to need to find a more productive way of doing it, but it's bloody fun. I love doing it. What else are you going to do right now? Yeah, there's loads of things. Bodybuilding, I could be like a, like a swimmer, I could be a... <laughs> no, you could do. write that novel. Yes, of course. No, it's, it's how, you, how you make of it, I think everything is at the moment. What you make of it. Just like you, you know, I saw, saw that you were on Instagram. You, 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 you know, you direct, direct people and Britain's Got Talent. Oh, yeah, chatting to people backstage. That was, um, that was an interesting experience. I, it didn't all end up in the show because obviously, you know, you'll film for like a week and they'll use about a minute and a half of footage. But I hugged a hedge at one point. I, uh, I interviewed a drag Voldemort type figure. I... Uh, <sighs> I had a whole conversation with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was, it was quite a, a wild ride, that. But um, met some very interesting people, a lot of really good comedians as well, that are starting to come on to Britain's Got Talent. I think it's become like a genuine uh, route for comedians to take now. Mm, I'm not so certain about that, Kate. I think because so many are doing that now, it's going to mm. dilute. I think it worked for Robert White and like, Kojo and maybe a few others, but like six or seven have done it now. Any more, then it's a bit like nah. So it's a not. You get a little bit of like it's like if you have a pizza of Domino's and it's like yeah. a pepperoni feast. Like before, you get two or three slices. Now you're barely going to take half a quarter of a slice. 
in order to do it. Yeah, so you, you mean they have to have maybe one or two comedians per season and if you've got 150 applying, then you, you, the odds aren't as good. I'm just saying if too many comedians are doing it, they got on TV, the, it's like Live at the Apollo. It's no longer a bigger thing as it used to be. I mean, it's still something, but because so many are doing it, it, it doesn't mean much anymore. That's so interesting that you should say that. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, recently because I've always had the mentality that there's space for everyone. And if I ever find myself feeling like I don't want to, say if I get an opportunity and I, I feel like I don't want to share it with someone who's similar to me because I, I want it, I'll, I'll have to like check myself and be like, hang on. You know, there's space for everyone in this industry because I'm currently working on a potential idea that does exactly that and, and instead of elevating one person it elevates a load of people so yeah interesting interesting thought so what's it it, it is it is <laughs> so what's it called <laughs> i mean well the point is if if too too many people are going for the same source and doing things the same way it ain't gonna work you've got to do your own thing so if we all aim for different things and bash down different doors and then one of us gets in and is like, guys, this one's open, then it's all good. Spread it a little bit more thinly. Is that what you mean? If everyone's doing the same thing, then, it, then it's going to be too much for... Everyone, yeah, everyone does their own thing. If, if everyone's doing their, trying to do the same thing, then it's going to be small for everyone. Yeah. Fair enough. But each to their own. No, it, it's, it's a pleasure. From what I know of you, I mean, I've only met you for one second with Facebook messages for booking the podcast, but I see that you're quite, you, you do quite a broad variety of different things. Yeah, I've, uh, I started as a journalist, actually, back in the day, and then went to drama school, became an actor, did a lot of theatre and sort of Shakespeare and all that sort of stuff for a while. And then comedy just kept happening and uh, ended up moving into comedy. But yeah, I work in front of the camera and behind the camera and I still write a lot. I, I wonder if it's uh, Jack of all trades, master of none, but I feel like there's, a, there's another idea that sort of contradicts that. Whereas if you just keep trying at the things that, things that are important to you, then... Um, You'll never be bored. <laughs> Each to their own. <laughs> Each to their own. What do you think? Tell me what you think. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a handsome man. I've got, like, nice <laughs> hair. Um, I've got a be nice a model. voice. No. Um, my, what do you mean, what do I think? What do you think? Do you think it's good to, like, aim for one thing or do you think it's good to aim for loads of different things? I think uh, know what you are, know what you want, and then if anything else comes around it, take it. Yeah. So if you want to be, uh, if you want to be Mr. Olympia, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you get an offer as a Hollywood actor, take it. Yeah, just say yes to everything, and you never know where you'll end up. Yes, if you feel it's right, but not yes to everything. It's like what's it called? What the what what the mate. I'm going to pay you a fiver if you do 10,000 hours for me and, you know, if something's not right, then 
don't don't do ten thousand hours for a fiver. <laughs> Not a good move. So, um, so you you ha so tell us a bit about your journey about how you've resorted to this and then how how you sort of became a jack of all trades as you said. Oh, did I say that? Oh, can you cut that bit out? Okay, <laughs> how, not jack of all trades. How did you become involved in such a diverse range of categories? Well, I think, I think it was, it started at drama school. So, you know, most people go to drama school, they train to be an actor and only an actor, and then they leave. And that's the one thing they aim for. But I did a course that was a bit experimental. So they kind of taught us to... They taught us to be resourceful and proactive. And if, if aiming for something this way doesn't work, then aim for that. And through doing that, we tried out loads of different things. And so I've always had it in my head that everything melts into everything. So if you're working as a comedian and then you take a job as a journalist or you're working as an actor and you take a job as a producer, you're going to learn something that you can use in that other medium as well. So... And I also, I'll just say that again. I also, um, I don't like not being in control of what I'm doing. And as an actor, you can just be like a glorified table sometimes, especially if you're doing like film work or commercial and theatre's better, but it's, it has its issues as well in terms of like, you're not in control of the story. You're not in control of when you work. You're not in control of what you're putting out there. So comedy just seemed to fit a bit more. The, the minute I started doing it, I was like, yes, I get to control what I'm saying and I get to write stuff and choose when I perform and work with the people I want to work with. So it all just seemed to fall into place when I started doing stand-up, which I didn't even mean to start doing. <laughs> it was an accident. How? How did it happen? Uh, there must be an interesting I, and funny story. Okay. You know, um, you know, you go to Edinburgh Fringe and there's loads of like one woman show about an old famous Hollywood actress like Marilyn Monroe or Judy Garland. And it's, it's one hour and it's just one woman on the stage and she's singing all her favorite songs and telling the story and pretending to be that person. And you know she's just gone and written it because she hasn't had any work in ages or she wants to write something for herself. So I was like, oh, I'll just do that. Um, and started writing this story about this actress who I used to love, who, his name is Shaney Wallace and she's in Oliver the Musical with Oliver Reed. Um, and I wrote it and I let a couple of my friends see it and they were like, is this meant to be serious? I was like, um, mainly, yeah. They were like, it's not, it's, uh, it's a parody. And I was like, oh yeah, great. Um, maybe I should do a stand-up course. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you've seen my YouTube videos, but I, I ended up turning this, because I was trying to make a one-woman one show out of it for Edinburgh, and I ended up turning it into a YouTube series because lockdown. And uh, what happened in the story is true. I actually did contact Shaney Wallace and she sent a kind of, harsh reply saying that she had done other jobs that weren't just Oliver the musical and you know but thank you for your compliments so I was like okay I'm just gonna have to turn this into a joke which I did uh, but 
but yeah, I did the stand-up course and then I was like, okay, I'll do one gig. And then I was like, okay, I'll do three just to prove I can do it. Cause the fear was still there. And then I got to about 10 and was like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, a bit hooked now and haven't really stopped since. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Is the fear still there? Cause I think it will always be, will be depending on the level you're at. And well, I'm sure you know, I got to a point a few months in where I kind of didn't care if I screwed it up. I was like, okay, I screwed it up. That's the worst it can be. So yeah, the fears, especially now, I don't know how comedians are feeling at the moment, like not having done gigs in three, four months. I don't know what it's going to look like. Have you seen any gigs yet? No, I've been doing a few. Oh, have they been going? Oh, they've been going all right. Some of them have been good than others. It's good to gig with comedians across the world and then test your ideas out and then give feedback um oh, online yeah i've enjoyed yeah. it it's been fun uh, yeah, you don't have to travel i find traveling into gigs quite exhausting you don't have to do it. i can just stay in my bedroom and gig yeah for sure yeah there have been some of them some people have made a huge amount of effort some of the promoters like turning it into an event and like using zoom for your advantage and or facebook or whatever you, they're using it's been really impressive I mean, yeah. there's some outdoor gigs that have been started up, but yeah. I mean, I hope they go well, I hope they work out. But for me, I'm not going to be doing them or I don't think I'll be organising any of them. I don't think, but it might change. We'll see how it goes. Why do you feel that way? I'm quite happy doing gigs online and like testing stuff out and working on a lot of other things that I've got going on. And so I, I'm, I don't want to really do anything that I know, so I don't want to increase my chance of getting corona. And affecting my two parents that I'm staying with. <laughs> that is a very valid reason. I will not question you on it any further. Yeah, I, I looked at, there aren't any nearby to me, but yeah, I agree. It, it's not, I don't know. I've been to the pub once since the pubs opened again and it didn't feel very safe. Mm. So. I think the one thing about Americans and Brits, we are hard to control. It is. <laughs> that is the truth of the matter. Just defiant beyond all reason. You saw what happened in Leicester Square. How yeah. is that not going to increase the spread of the virus? And like the America, I don't know what's going on. That you saw the, some of the pictures. They, they had this big parties and like like it was just no tomorrow and like a regular night out. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are the exceptions you know the protests I've, I've i actually wasn't in london when they were happening but i don't know what decision i'd have made if i had been and had the opportunity to go because i think they're really important <clears throat> i think they're really important but yeah it is it's a difficult one isn't it and um, I, yeah i i don't really want to talk about sort of politics or anything like that i, I avoid that's all right. it it's 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 i know so i don't really know enough to talk about it so well i don't think any of us do do we we're just doing as much as you can with the information we've got, which... Well, I think it depends, I mean, isn't it? If you've really sort of... Ben Shapiro, he's like, he's, he really studies it and he's an expert in it and, like, he, he can talk about it with a good opinion. But I don't want to say... I, don't, I haven't really ever taken the time to understand politics or to really look at it properly. So there's not really any point in me talking about it. I mean, I can have a 1% view on it, but other than that, nothing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. But we're, we're not going outside. 
we're not going outside for a little yeah. while longer. <laughs> Just to be safe. I know so, I'll probably scare a lot of people with how I look at the moment. Look at this. <laughs> are, you, are you thinking about getting a haircut? Or? Uh, is that what you're doing now? You're a hairdresser now? You advertise the services? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I'd branch out a little bit further, you know. No, not yet, not there. yet. <laughs> so, so you just stumbled into comedy and what's it called? What's, so what's, how have you found comedy so far? Like everything that's going on and where do you think, what do you think is going to happen in comedy as a whole? So you're saying that you don't know what's going to happen and this and that, but. I don't, I didn't stumble in it in the sense that I had worked in it as an actor. So have you heard of Netflix, the improvised musical? Yes, I did. It was with Catface Talent, wasn't it? That Charla Austin, her agency. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Few people so, that became comedians. Yeah, so I was one of the people from that that became a comedian. So I was in Netflix in 2015. I actually worked with Sarah, uh, the woman who runs the company, to come up with that concept. So before it was uh, waiting for the call. And then we came up with the Netflix idea and it developed from there. And I left because I didn't want it to take over. It was quite a big job and I was doing a lot of things. But yes, yeah, so I've been in and out of comedy. But yeah, for the last year, I've been doing stand-up and I found it really interesting entering at the time that I did, but I was just trying to remember I'm not the only person that has moments and feels like that sometimes because there's a lot of us. Anyone who's achieved anything good has had knockbacks. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, it's just you accept things as they are, but it doesn't mean you give yourself for not making the best out of yourself. You give your best, you enjoy it, and make a living for what you enjoy doing, and that's what matters. Exactly. Everything else is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Have a laugh during lockdown. Do a few podcasts. Write some jokes. Stick them on Twitter if no one else will take them. I've been doing twi I've been doing joke Twitter. I don't know if you've ever tried joke Twitter. It's like playing a video game. Joke Twitter. Yeah, you know, they've started teaching courses in LA when they teach like stand-up courses or sketch writing courses that they're starting to add joke Twitter courses. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. Tell us. Well, you know, you'll see them. There's, there's accounts that just do jokes on Twitter and they'll have a huge amount of followers and yeah, it's like this whole community. I'm not sure whether it's a means to an end for the for the people that write them regularly or whether it's just an addition or somewhere to try out their jokes but yeah very interesting i mean i did it for a bit and then stopped i think you have to do it full time like a joke a day which i mean i don't know about you but joke a day is is exhausting sometimes in lockdown <laughs> but there was a while where i was like just nothing's funny right now well, I, I mean, Twitter's not really for me. I don't feel it's, 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 it's not really, doesn't really, just didn't click with me. So I focus on other platforms and just focus on developing a set and then testing out on online Zoom gigs and see how it goes, get feedback, try again. If it works, keep it. If it doesn't, get rid of it. Or if it works, keep it and then improve on it. Yeah. And a joke twist has got different formats as well. So you have to write it in a specific, like, me them me them sort of scripted style it's very weird i didn't know it existed 
but what sort of so, benefits does it bring and what sort of um what yeah tell us a bit about it i I'm, i mean i'm not trying it i stopped i just did it for a bit of fun but i've heard that you can make money from it the same way you can make money as an influencer and you know people respect it as a writing platform Ooh. Yeah, well, it's it's funny, isn't it? There's a there's a big app. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but you can pay celebs to do a little call out, and like Mayweather costs about eight hundred odd, and Manny. This is quite a funny story. Uh, Manny Pacquiao is eight hundred and one pounds, <laughs> and if you if you pay them, they'll say a message. So if I pay Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather now, and he said, "Yo, Marvin, you are like the coolest Chinese guy ever," he would do it. If he felt it was right for him, <laughs> he gave him the money. Wow, that's worth a week's worth of work, isn't it? Paying someone to say something cool about you who's well, I, famous. Some people have used that. that. Yeah, I don't know. Some people have used that and they've like put a little tags. I don't know if it's worked or not, but it's an option. I've not really tried it because I think, yeah, as you said, Idea, that's a week's wage of money over something stupid it's like buying instagram followers and paying for exposure though isn't it it's, it's not really going to work unless you've got something to back it up like actual work that you've done online that people can look at yeah well they make good money don't they <laughs> yeah the people you're paying do yeah yeah you would take it if you were in their position too, I'm sure. Or just try <laughs> pour too much water there. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you would do the same thing if you were them as well. Yeah, someone offered me 800 quid to say something nice about someone on the video, for sure. But it depends who it was, actually. What if it was me? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> and... What, what's what's been your sort of passion for performing and what's like what what as a little child made you like say i love performing i want to be this i want to be i want to act and perform i kind of just thought everyone wanted to do it like <laughs> i remember having conversations in primary school being like but don't you want to be an actor don't you want to be on the set no and just being completely baffled by it um, I remember I was in the first school play I was in, I was really little. I was annoyed that I, I didn't get to play the main part, which was a boy's part, um, and was annoyed that everyone kept laughing at me. And they had to explain that they were laughing because I was making them laugh like it was a good thing. So, so I feel like I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I knew I wanted to do it, if that makes sense. And I think when you get older, you kind of start to question how and why and what. Um, and I think when I was training, I was a bit annoyed with myself for not choosing a more actory sort of course. But now I'm really, really grateful because I've gotten to do so many more interesting things through just being a performer and writer and, and sort of exploring that way. I, I, I think if you, you even if you're just an actor or just a comedian, you do find the one thing that kind of, as you just said, like drives you. Uh, for me, I think it's just storytelling. Oh, nice. 
I like telling stories. I like making people laugh. I like making people think. And if you use, if you, if you don't take yourself too seriously when you're telling the story, then it's easier to absorb, especially if it's got an interesting thought behind it. No, I, I like making people laugh as well. Like it, it feels good, doesn't it? You, you yeah. can't lie. It's nice when people laugh at your jokes. Right. You're, ca you're causing people to laugh. That can't be bad. I mean, it's it's sort of something that will last. Though, yeah, like sometimes when when you goes well, it's a really big high, and you struggles to come down for a few hours. Like and and then when it goes badly, you're just like somebody bury me somewhere really below this building, and I'm never Normally. coming out again. <laughs> Normally it takes me about three or four hours and then or two hours or a couple of hours and then I'm all right and I'm like, all right, no worries. Done. I just go to bed. <laughs> I just go to bed. But um yeah, I I was terrified of that when I started doing comedy and then I realised it wasn't so scary to have a joke not work or for you to fluff your lines a bit. Mm. No one's gonna think any less of you if you have a bad set. Which is nice. They don't have that sort. Of, I don't think they have that sort of um, camaraderie in the acting industry. Hmm. Sort of like all the comics support each other at every gig, and that's really nice. I'm gonna ask you a stupid question. Go on. Um, how does it all work when you're going for auditions and you're sat next to each other, and like you're you're outside the room, you're sat in these chairs. Is there any like eyeballing, or is there any sort of trash talk and say, yo? You're not wearing that dress right. Excuse me, mate. Those glasses were last year. I try not to be like that. As I've said, I like supporting the people around me. But yeah, I've had some horrific moments. I remember I was with an agent uh, who sent me in for it. They had to be grade six on the piano. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a six, just about, yeah? I can kind of cling on to grade six if I have to. And I got there and there was a girl in front of me that was like, uh, yeah, I'm a concert pianist, but then I trained and now I'm an actor as well. And it's going great. And I was like, cool, lovely to meet you. She went in, you can hear the piano being played. She comes out, she goes, guys, they only have six octaves on the piano. I didn't know what to do, beware. And then just swammed out and I was like, I only need two. <laughs> uh, and I was, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, because yeah, subtly undermining the people around you so that you get the job, not cool. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes I would have that in a few gigs, like someone would say, Before you go, and oh, they're going to be really hard, or they're going to be this and that. And it's a bit like, Why are you saying that? Just just enjoy it. Like, I'm, I want to just enjoy my set, leave me to it. Yeah, and if you have it in your head that it's not going to go well, then it's not going to go well. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you'll be at a gig and it's not going well for anyone and you'll just think to yourself, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win them over. And then, and then that's all you really need is that thought in your head, that this is going to work now. That's still pressure as well. I think maybe the best mindset, I, I mean, I sometimes struggle with this as well. I think the best thing we should do is just to try and enjoy ourselves, have a good time and just think the worst thing that's going to happen, you will learn something. Yeah. That's what I think we should do, but we don't. <laughs> we don't. 
I think there's always going to be pressure if you're performing that you're going to, you're always going to feel some sort of pressure. Yeah. But when I was acting regularly, I learned to, you know, just before you go on stage, you'll have, you know, you'll want to be sick, which I don't know if you've ever felt that with a comedy gig, but definitely yeah. on opening night of a show. And because that's never really going to go away, I just learned to turn that I want to be sick feeling into um, excitement and, and use the adrenaline. So I'm not scared of nerves. Mm. Even if they do actually make me throw up. I, was, I had a, what's it called? A, I had a personal trainer who's, who's wanted to be an actor as well. I mean, look at me. I haven't done that well with it, but I mean, I've done okay. But I'm not, <laughs> not like, oh. But the thing is, he said to me what he did was he do some sort of power poses or something to try and get himself more confident for an audition. Like the power lean? Yeah. Like yeah. The David Cameron Ooh. power lean, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, you said it helped him and get more relaxed. So, I mean, like, it does help to have maybe something to sort of prepare for the gig. Oh, I'm so, I'm, I'm so bad at being relaxed before auditions. I need to have some sort of hypnotherapy or something just to chill out. Because, yeah, even if you're so right for the job, uh, you know, and you could absolutely smash it and it's exactly what you should be doing, if you go in there and screw up the audition, then they'll never know. So I feel like auditions are even more nerve-wracking than the actual job. It's like, um, yeah. Yes, yes, like the dog's bark is worse than its bite. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> um, now, I'd say one thing about the performing arts thing, though, and uh, yeah. being an actor or being a comedian or being a musician. Yeah, I mean, you build some great relationships with people and that like, you build a really sort of camaraderie with people, with a small group of people. And, like, it's when it goes well. It is, as you said, the best feeling in the world. And it's good to share the bad. Maybe the good thing about comedy is you get to share the good and the bad experience with other people. Definitely, if you're doing a show with a group of people, for sure, everyone's shouldering the good and the bad. I don't know. I don't know. It, I think it depends on the room. Like, you're working on your own. You've only got yourself to blame if it goes well or if it goes badly. That's quite scary. But you're always doing it on the bill with another axe, or you're doing it like with, I mean, unless you're doing an Edinburgh show, you. But, most of the time when you're doing a show, there's other people there. Yeah. And often there'll be someone that you like and know. Sometimes yeah. there'll be people you don't like, but whatever, it works. And with the people you like and know, it makes it easy sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Especially in the bad moments. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the bad moments and the good moments. You, you want the respect of your peers, don't you, more than you want the respect of the audience, almost. Although, you know, to lose any from either side would probably be like not a desirable thing to happen but no <laughs> it's, i yeah it's uh so you you did so you do sort of improv you've done improv and acting as well yeah and the, the quote that i came across recently a friend of mine called cat she's a comedian in the circuit like tiny mm -hmm. lovely lady and she put this quote up saying um if you don't like someone um, keep it to yourself. No need to invite others to your cause. Yeah. I absolutely love that quote. I think that's fantastic. And uh, I think one of the things also is, yeah, 
There was another quote, but I've forgotten it. I'll say it later. <laughs> what, what, um, what, so you've done all these different fields and it's you, and you'd like to say that you gain a bit from each one of them. How mm -hmm. would you say, um, all the different things you've been involved with have helped you in sort of your performance time as a comedian? Understanding narrative, uh, which you get from writing, from directing, from being part of this company, uh, from journalism, just understanding how to pull a story together. You know, as, as humans, we always try and thread something together to make things that have happened to us make sense. And so the story is kind of, it's your perception of it. And, mm. and that's the skill, I guess. Uh, understanding how to sell a show or an idea as well. And I think if you're working in, I did a show at the Arcola and it was with two sort of really well-respected RSC kind of actors, kind of RSC. One of them was uh, Greg Hicks and the other was Claire Higgins and they're kind of like giants older actors. I'm sure there's a more eloquent way of saying that, but they're basically pretty awesome stage actors. And I just had one line and I had a couple of laughs, a couple of funny moments. Um, but mainly I just sat backstage watching them for two runs. So it was about six months watching these people work and watching everyone do their job. And I think I learned more doing that show than I had from the shows that I'd done before where I was like playing a lead or, or a more significant role. So I think like if you're in the room and understanding that comedy is different from TV, is different from film, is different from theatre and then all the different kind of sub, sub genres within all of them and just how they work and what makes them different, I think has been really helpful. Ah, so, I mean, like in terms of building your own brand and getting your own audience, because you've got all those, you can... Yeah, and I've, I just feel like you should explore loads of stuff before you decide who you want to be, who you want to become, I guess. Uh, not to sound too cheesy, but yeah, I feel like otherwise you're going to be sat there at the end of your life going, I didn't try that out and I could have been good at that and I could have been good at that, but I never tried that and I never went on a gap year I don't know I feel like you should try everything if you can if it's within your grasp just give it a go and if you don't like it don't do it again enough yeah why not you don't you only within, live once within the realms of what you're interested in obviously don't yes, just go yes. like as you yeah don't don't go doing a thousand hours of work that you don't give a shit about for a fiver but um <laughs> no it's um and what, so, yeah, I found, um, what, what you, when you, when it comes to improv and stand up, they're both very different fields and people sometimes get those two mixed up, but yeah. when, improv is always thought of as something that can help with your people skills or social skills. And I spoke to an improviser and he tells me that stand up is more of a, writing discipline perhaps than a performance discipline and I think when you compare it to most most stand-up to improv yes it is compared to improv yes it is 
Um, and while I would just say improv is perhaps more useful to improving social skills than perhaps stand-up. <laughs> let's unpick that. No, let's not unpick that. <laughs> um, I, I think because I had an improv background and improv was the closest thing I'd done to stand-up, I did think that the skills I learned doing improv would help when I started doing gigs, but I don't think most of them did. In terms of owning when a moment goes wrong and turning it into a joke, yes. Because that, ah. for me, improv was just laughing at all the people screwing up, which was mainly me, and then putting your mate in the shit and then laughing more and then going, okay, we're going there. I have to say yes. So yeah, fine. That was insane, but fine. Do you know uh, Penilla Holland? Yes. Yeah. Lovely lady. So I was in Netflix with her and her first gig, I brought her in because I'd known her from drama school. Her first gig, there was a bit where her and this other girl, Holly, um, they were having, you know, they were making a deal and they were about to shake hands and Polina spat on her hand. And Holly was just like hesitating and waiting and she just looked at her and was like, it's really there, isn't it? She was like, yep. <laughs> and they had to like, just, uh, yeah saliva everywhere it was, it was hilarious but like in in improv that's the bit that makes you laugh it's the bit where you can see the performers are going i can't believe this is happening <laughs> I, fine because you can't say no so <laughs> you just have to say yes yes and and yeah it doesn't it ends up in a lot of sort of tongue-in-cheek moments <laughs> um whereas Stand up, that rarely happens unless an audience member gets involved and then you really have like a back and forth going. You have to kind of skip over it. You can't make like a massive thing out of screwing up a joke. You can make a joke carry on. And I found for me, it doesn't work to linger on it. Whereas in improv, you linger on it for as long as you can <laughs> until it's funny again, you know? Mm. And what? One thing that I'm also looking at is uh, Sam. Do you know Sam Russell? He MCs for Angel Comedy quite a lot. I think so. Yeah. He he did the Angel writing workshop, and he what he does when he's developing material, he he just yes ands himself a lot. Yeah. And that's his that's his thing for developing ideas. So. I okay, this is a bit of a random thought, but. <laughs> I watched Frozen 2 last night. I don't know if you've seen it, but I watched Frozen 2 last night with a mate because it came out on Sky Go. And, uh, and there's this, there's, it's, it's a kid's movie, right? And it, it's very funny, but there's this bit in it where, um, what's his name? Jonathan Groff's character starts doing an 80s music video. And it's, <laughs> and we were like pissing ourselves. And I could just imagine the way it happened is the writers are sat in a room going, wouldn't it be really funny if we did this? Wouldn't it? And they, they keep going. And then, and then the studio execs are like, yeah, fine. Just do what you want. We don't care. This is going to sell really well. So just do whatever the fuck you want. And they're going, really? Like whatever we want. Are you serious? And I think, I think if you have that mentality, it's really hard to get that mentality because you're often trying to play to what you think people are going to want. But often the best stuff happens where you're just like, I'm going to just write it down anyway and see what happens. Make it even more obscene. 
um, I'm trying to I'm trying to adapt that into the things that I make next anyway and just be like fearless and screw it but yeah. it's hard that's, that's the thing because um, do you know of clowning oh yeah love clowning the, have you done a clowning thing and I have indeed. So I've I've done that. I did a bit of clowning with Mick Barnfather, and um, yeah, one thing I've always yeah, and I went to Philip Golier, and it's, oh, I got nice. had to come back here because I had no money. It's <laughs> but, very very um, what's the word? I don't know. It's, it's Philip Golier is like big in the game. He is, and he's amazing, lovely man, but. He has a hard exterior like Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I, I worked with uh, Marcello Magni from Complicite and he's the same. Uh, you know underneath he's lovely, but he, he, he terrifies you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he scares the shit out of me, Philip. Um, but one of the things is, and I'm definitely going to do the third term when it, if he's still, hopefully still there, um, when, when I'm back there next year, um, yeah. But one thing that, well, with stand-up as a whole, one thing that I do quite well is when I fail at things, people laugh a lot more than when I do regular stand-up. And that seems you don't to... know why they're laughing, right? Um, when I, no, just when I fail at things, just anything. It just seems to work a hundred times better than when I'm doing my regular stand-up set. However, that is something that I'm working on. So I don't want to just oh. be... Because with clowning, I always find the biggest laughs come from when you, the clown doesn't understand what's funny. You know, you know what? That is true. That is, that is basically, I, I remember I went to Edinburgh last year. I was doing some magic tricks and they went wrong. And basically, I, one of the balls or something went under the chair and I didn't realise it, but the rest of the room did. And they all burst out laughing for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was when I realised I loved it. I've actually been talking to a few people about this during lockdown. Like one of the first things I'm going to do is do a little one, two day refresher clowning course. Not because I want to improve my performance skills, just because it's fun. Um, like a nice little day out. But yeah, that was when I realized I enjoy clowning is when things go wrong. You know, like say you've got a mask on and you can't, see, you know, you're trying to do a writing exercise and you can't see anything. Or I remember one of the first exercises I did was like a 10 minute improvisation with six other people. And I had no idea what was going on the whole time, but I knew they were pissing themselves, the audience. And at the end they were like, yeah, it's because you look so confused that they were laughing. And I was like, oh, oh, was, that was a weird sense of satisfaction from that, even though it was torture at the time. So how does, how does the, what are the main principles of clan? I mean, I did it a little bit, but I never quite understood like the flop or any of these other things i think the flop oh, is what you just said yeah don't ask me about that because it's been such a long time that i can't remember any of the main principles either you you must have done it more than me if you've trained with golia no but i did other modules i didn't do the clown module i did i did the so i'd done that to the second term but then the pandemic kicked in so they come here and so i missed out on like the i did buffon but i missed out on like the clown oh. and the character and all those sort of things which was also what I did quite well in the school. In the school, with a lot of exercises, I would fail, and I didn't know why. And one of them was when when I was like, I put a mask on, I couldn't see a thing, and he told me to. I was trying to act all confident first, and I didn't get anything. But then Philippe started directing me, and he told me to keep walking, walking backwards. 
And what I didn't know was when I was walking backwards, I was actually going to, well, you see, when you go on a stage, there's these two little things and you have to walk by to go and like perform. These two little separators from like the stage and the, the audience. Uh, no, but yeah, carry on. Well, anyway, I kept on walking. And what I didn't know was that, and I kept on walking. What I didn't know is what I did. I didn't know what was going on, but I, I suddenly stopped for a minute, just as I was like a minute away from bumping into one of those boulevards. And then they started laughing and I couldn't see anything. They started laughing yeah. like mad. And so I didn't know what was going on. So I kept on going with it. And then they just kept on laughing and laughing. Yeah, it's just, it's just play, isn't it? It's just play. I, I feel like that's the roots of what you do as a comedian is just try stuff out. But you're playing to the audience when you're doing clowning, aren't you? You're kind of going off their reactions, which I guess you do in, in stand-up as well. If they're not enjoying a, a bit, yeah. you're not going to carry on with the bit. You're going to move on. Not as much, but I'd say... I'd say um, how, so I've got two questions asked now. And yeah. How do you say improv differs to clowning? My God, I feel like I'm at an exam. Um, <laughs> clowning is more physical. Improv is words. Smash oh, it. Okay. I don't know. Cl clowning, clowning is physical theatre, basically. There's, there's, I don't think there's a huge amount of... Maybe in, um, maybe in certain forms of sort of comedia dell'arte, they'll be sort of speaking, but I think generally with clowning it's physical theatre isn't it yeah and improv is i guess the same thing but you have to be a bit clever about it and you have to use your words to move the story forward mm -hmm. and there's always specific rules to improv as well so if you're doing a 45 minute one hour show there will be a structure that the team sticks to and anything that happens within the structure I just realised that might be me. Anything that happens within the structure is, uh, is, is yes and, but you do have to keep to the structure. Um, but with clowning, it's just like, I've got another idea, let's do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, Crystal, it's very... Would you ever try improv? I did a little bit of a basic improv thing with um, with uh, what's it called Hoopla. It was all oh, right. Oh yeah, I talked for them once. It's, it's not too bad. I did it with Jonah. No, it was quite a long time ago that I worked with them. But yeah. But it's um, I might give it a go. I mean, I did an improv uh, Zoom jam last week. What is that? They just give you scenes of different things and you just improvise with someone else. That sounds cool. Well, I can give you a link if you want. Um, but I'd love to see how that works. Effectively, yeah. I, and I, I just basically, um, yeah, just joined in. and just At first, I messaged them about it because I wanted to get some acts and performers for my stand-up slash, slash improv show. Yeah. And they said, oh, you've got to do a, what's it called, an improv course to do this and that. But then when they found out I was a comedian, they were like, okay, you can join. Nice. And 
Yeah, I, I don't know about... I don't feel the course I did in Hoopla, because it was too basic, gave me an understanding of what improv is. I don't think I understand what improv is. <laughs> and I did it for a year. Um, just a thought. I find it really hard to know when to speak on a Zoom call anyway. I find like huge groups of people on Zoom, I can't get a word in edgeways sometimes and you become really anxious and then you're too scared to speak and then your microphone's off and then there's a delay and then I, I don't know how I'd improvise. Have they got a structure to it? Yeah, structure. Yeah. Good. Well, at least good. I'm glad they've got that sorted. I'll send you over a link and then let you can see what you see what you want to do. But it's 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 not too bad. In some ways, yes. when I've done the improv, it's been more rewarding. It's like when I MC sometimes, or when I do the improv. Sometimes it feels mm. more rewarding than doing a stand-up set because in an improv you're sharing it with someone, and then when you MC a well, you're like you're setting a good platform up for other acts to do well, and you get to yeah. engage more of the audience. While stand-up can sometimes feel like quite a selfish sort of thing in the way. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's, how does it feel being an MC to doing a set? MCing feels more personable. It feels like you have to get to know people more and more interaction whilst, I mean, what, what a lot of stand-ups do is they do their jokes to make people laugh, but it's often not as personal as being an MC. But for me, as I mostly just improvise anyway, I, I make it more personable. And I've not really worked hard on the material side of things. Nice. I have no further questions. Your Honour. <laughs> you sounded like a, like a lawyer there. <laughs> yeah, it was deliberate. It was deliberate. I've, I was doing my lawyer acting. Three, right. three years of drama school. Is, that is one of the th exercises we did in one of the Godier courses. Like we'll pretend to be what? a lawyer. Like if, really? If, okay. Like w one of the games is, like he says, Samuel says, and then if he catches you up, like when he presses the drum when you're supposed to be still, you, he says you've got to get a kiss from someone or he slaps you on your back. And then... Hilarity ensues. Yes, and then like you ask someone because they say no or they say yes, but in, in one of them he said, you can be a lawyer and plead your case. <laughs> yeah, nice. It's just games, isn't it? It's just games. Well, I think that's it's an effective thing. It makes people in that school feel a bit more like closer than he would, considering that time, if they didn't do those games. It's very bonding. It's very, there's a lot of thought behind it. Yeah, just made me think of, uh, I had to write a, a script, a sort of nonsense script I was asked to write um, and I had a very short amount of time to do it in. And I just got a group of, they weren't even actors, they were just people involved in the project into a room and got them to play games for an hour and kind of made it up as I went along. And by the end of it, I had a full script full of like Mad Hatter's Tea Party style bollocks that they'd all said. Um, so you can get a lot from those games. I mean, I've been writing a lot of sketch recently and I don't know if you ever find this, um, just generally joke writing, but I'll just be like, okay, hang on, I need to write that down. Or like, oh, there's a sketch in that. There's a sketch in that. Yes, there's a yeah. sketch in that. So, yeah. 
There's a sketch yeah. in that. <laughs> it's just, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's never ending. Yeah, I do that quite a lot. It's, one thing I want to also ask you again is, so do you, have you emceed, so how, how long have you been doing comedy for at the moment? Uh, yeah. Have you emceed any gigs so far? No, I have, I mean, I've got my own podcast. So I was doing the podcast before I started doing stand up. So I've been presenting for a couple of years now, plus the BGT, plus a few other things. I haven't really thought about emceeing. Because the thing I want to ask, and one thing I'm quite interested in, there's a comedian called Russell Hicks. And mm -hmm. he was struggling for a while in America, like writing jokes and all that. And then he got some book on improv, like the rules, manual of improv or something. And he, yeah. he read a bit of that. And then he started just ending off what the audience said. And now he's become known as this fantastic improviser on stage. Excellent stuff. And one thing that I'm interested in, and one thing that I want to, because some of the exercises in improv, I'm thinking, you know, that would really be effective for when I'm hosting or interacting with an audience. Mm. And I'm wondering, do you use any principles from improv when you're hosting or interacting with audiences per se? Hmm. Well, the closest thing I've really come to emceeing is I work with a company called Impossible Things UK and they do, they're very, very cool. They work mainly in this venue called The Aeronaut in Acton. And they do weekly cabaret shows and then they'll have singers. And I work there mainly as a singer, but we have to talk to the audience. And I, I found that really difficult when I started, but I think it's just about, <laughs> knowing your audience first, because you don't want to accident, I accidentally swore at a show that I probably shouldn't have accidentally sworn into a microphone at. Um, which you don't necessarily have to worry about when you're doing improv. What improv skills do I bring to it? Concentrating on more thing at once. More. Let me say that again. Concentrating on more than one thing at once. So when I was doing Britain's Got Talent, you have one person in your ear telling you, you know, stop talking about this thing, talk about this thing. You're talking to the people. You're thinking about what you want to get what you want them to be allowed to say you're thinking about all these sort of different elements and the same with podcasting because ours is quite different to what you do there's two of us and it's speaking to people about a very specific subjects so we'll have a list of questions that we discussed with the host and then and it's, it's all about going, okay, I'm really enjoying this conversation, but I also need to look at my thing. And I also need to make sure that we don't talk about this for more than 10 minutes because it's already gone on too long. And yeah, I guess multitasking, but also seeming like you're not multitasking, which I don't know if that's the same with emceeing. Thinking, oh, we need to get this next act on and I need to get, guide the conversation towards this next joke that I'm going to write or this person or... Mm. There is actually what you just said that there is a point because what a lot of MCs do is they'll talk to the audience and they'll make sure that that topic that they talk to the audience about relates to a bit of material they often do. Yeah. 
I've noticed that. And also saying something about the comedian that was just on, making a little joke, linking that to some material. I've noticed they do that as well. Yeah, make it yeah. seem seamless. Um, They're all liars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did this the other day. <laughs> Reminds me of that. Uh, yeah. One of the reasons why I asked that question is because I did that Zoom improv jam, and one of the exercises was like you would do an exercise or do some scene, and you'd be like, Right, mate, I'm watching a football, mate. And then someone else would interject whilst you were doing your story. Or, oh, right, mate, I was in a football drinking with the lads doing this and that. And, and then, then someone changes, would yeah. interject and say, yeah, it reminds me of the time that I went to the zoo. And then so family go. guy. Yeah, and that, that's what made me think of, like, all these improv games. and thinking, you know, if I'm talking to audience about a random topic, if I use some of these tools, I can easily sort of put it in a seamless way without it making it seem like an interview. Yeah. A funny sort of spin on it. My, my first ever comedy gig that wasn't part of a course, I told a joke and I didn't think about it, but basically one of the guys in my story was called Dick. And um, at the beginning, the MC had spoken to this guy whose name was Dick and she just went, she just stopped after, you know, as an MC would do, she stopped after he said his name and was just like, thank you thank you. I don't even need to do anything with that. There was this whole thing and I didn't realise I'd done a callback, but I got this huge laugh, um, which was useful because it was my first ever gig and I needed it. But um, after that, I tried really hard for a while to try and do links into other jokes that people have said or things that have been said before. And then I just stopped at some point. I feel like that's, that's, the, fun, that's the fun bit when, when the audience knows that that happened today that's not something that was rehearsed that's mm. that's from today so that's made me think mm, maybe maybe we all need to be a little bit more improv in our stand-up i yeah it is that's what i'd like to see more of I, I do like watching more sort of stuff where there's a lot more engagement between the performer and the audience i feel it's more personal like i like watching i mean you work for britain's got talent did you like Ian Voice? I really love him. Um, X Factor BGT warm up comedian. Yes, thank you. Loved him. He's very good. Uh, I never got to see what he actually did on the stage because I was backstage with people. But yeah, he, he always managed to warm up the audience very well. And it, he was very likable. That's all that really needed to happen. He's just likable and has a laugh with them. Yeah, he, he gets away with a lot of stuff that a lot of people, if they weren't like him, wouldn't get away with. Like, I remember watching one of the interactions. He was talking to some other bloke. He said he's from, oh, you're from Wigan. You're on disability or something. And because he's him, he could get away with that. But if I said it, it just came, comes across as wrong. But the way he said it worked very well and it just killed. Yeah. I, I don't think I can get away with that either. Some people can. But it's, he, he amazes me. I, I, I love his act way he's just able to just improvise and do this and that. I mean, obviously there's some structure and there's thought behind it, but it doesn't come across as that. But yeah, I just like seeing that. It's, it's brilliant. Especially uh, one thing I'd like to see in stand-up is the MC relying more on the interaction per se than the material. Though they do a lot of that as well, but I think there's a big thing where MCs will do their material first before they do any crowd work. 
And I'm, sometimes I've seen it where they just do material, even though it's brilliant. I'd like to see them be more personal with the audience, which I like more. What if you don't realize, what if, is it Bill Bailey that does, when he does his sets, people think it's all made up, but it's, it's not, it's heavily rehearsed, but it's just the way it's delivered. I mean, I'm sure there's a load of comedians that do that. I don't know. I'd like to be able to get to the point where everything feels fresh all the time. That would be good. And then add on improv on top of that. But yeah, I think it makes it like Phil, Phil Kay, what's, Peter Kay says that he enjoys it when, when someone heckles a bit because it makes it, it's the unexpected surprise of the show when someone does that. Yeah, uh, I mean, it depends on the heckle, but I also enjoy a good heckle match. Oh, okay. Oh, no, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a story there. I, I mean, I've, I saw one YouTube clip of Luke Capasso, a former American comedian in the UK, and he had water phone on him. So go on, tell us. <laughs> Come on. Well, the thing is, I don't think I can get away with it anymore, but I only got heckled a few times in the first six months and then I haven't really been heckled since or not in a way that I needed to respond to um and I think I think I'd just gotten up on the stage when I was doing a gig and I was like you know how are you guys doing and someone from the back was like no and I didn't know how to react I hadn't prepared myself so I just went I just got introduced to the stage as a brand new comedian. What am I meant to do with that? And um, that seemed to get a good reaction. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I kind of played on the fact that I had no idea how to deal with the hecklers and tried to make them feel bad. And it was all, it was all quite nice. Um, but I was making myself the butt of the joke as well, I guess. Hmm. So I got away with it. But well, I don't know if I could actually attack a heckler. I think that's something else. Well, I run a heckler's night, so you can do that if you want. I'll give it a go. <laughs> it's a lot you know, of fun. So, so what is that, that the audience has to heckle? No, it's like a Zoom meeting, and mostly it's comedians in the, in the meeting, and we just heckle each other. So there's like two or three, there's, two, there's, like, two, there's like two comedians and one um, other comedian, they heckle them, and they have to deal with it. I'll show you a quick clip. And you let me know what you think. Here we go. Where's the thingy? Here we go. There's a hell of a lot of improv nights that, um, improv games, I mean, that deal with that very thing. It's like having too many distractions and trying to get through your story or something. Oh, really? Hmm. Oh, this is interesting. What are the games? There we go. Can't remember. So his his brief. Some of it's good. So but... I was uh, going out with this uh, Asian girl. Little so he's the comedian. Then uh, yeah. things got hot and heavy in the bedroom, and uh, she was like safety first. So I put a mask on her face. <laughs> my dad was like, finally, he got a he got a chance to like fucking actually see me and sit me. He's like, you're not doing any more comedy. But I told him I was like, I need to keep my mind sharp. And he's like, well, just do some mathematics. Like, how about some calculus? Hey, that's on. What's on. up, brother? It's really nice to see some gray in your beard. I take it you're still oh. performing sex acts on the elbow. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, fuck. <laughs> that was and, funny. 
Anyway, yes, my name is Mario. <laughs> I know what you guys are thinking. Uh, yes, it does come with a lot of extra baggage growing up. I don't think I did myself any favors with this mustache either. So, um, my review so far, Mario, not super. Okay. Wait, let me cancel that. Wait a second. On my barbecue, that was great. It's massive and Okay, so that's the show. <laughs> it looks like a, a good exercise, a good, a, a good experience to go through. I wonder what they'd say. I don't know. Do, do those guys all know each other, or are they just no. coming up with random insults? No, it's comedians from across the globe. Some some of them know each other, but most of them are from different parts of the world or different parts of the UK, and they've not seen each other. Just just being vile to one another. That's lovely. Yeah. That's great. Another thing, mixing stand-up and improv, what's that show that uh, comedians are given a subject and they have to riff off it? Eat and Live. Mm, is it? There's another one. It's in, in Edinburgh every year. Eat and Live, isn't it? With yeah, Darius Davies and Louis, Louis, Leo Kirst. Yeah, maybe there's two. But yeah, I'd like to try that. Because um, that's essentially... Oh, set list. Set list. Yeah, that's the one. I saw Ashley B do set list. Um, was like, you're my hero. Because oh, everyone yeah. else comes on and start doing, oh, I know some material. Let's, let's improvise this towards the material that I have. Ah, yes, yes, she, yes. She just full on went in with, I used to be a sheep. And it was just amazing. And then you could see her brain just go, okay we're here let's keep going um yeah that was great fun and i think neil malarkey does that yeah most likely but yes yes i think i noticed that yeah a lot of comedians will just they won't actually do the import they'll try and switch their material into it like yeah. i saw that ishan akbar did it and his topic was religious cheese but he's got this joke on bacon, so he can always sort of twist that into being a Muslim. He can twist it in. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, one of my favourite gigs um, was at Hoxton. What's it called again? Help me out here. Hoxton Wells. Hoxton Kevin. And it was, you do three minutes, you do two minutes of your set, and then we're just going to give you something from your set to improvise about for another three minutes. That was like the most fun I've ever had doing a gig. Terrifying. Uh, tell us, tell us. Well, the punchline for one of my jokes was Star Wars and I just said Star Wars and was like, oh, well, I've ruined that joke, I'll move on. And like, and I was just like so tired. I think I'd had about three hours sleep that day and I'd, I'd just come from doing a show during the day and I got to this 5pm gig and I was just absolutely delirious and uh, you just got to ramble shit it was great and everyone else was just up for you rambling shit um, I, I don't think any of it made any sense and just everyone was just making us laugh so much it was like really nice yeah I like those sort of nights and Peter's quite a, has a quirky thing and he does, does a panel show as well doesn't he yeah, I think he's great. Yeah, I like his uh, I like his um, Alexa thing. Yeah, yeah, he's got some good sketches as well on YouTube. 
He's a good videographer. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 he's, he's, he's a, he he did a what's it called? He did a sketch thing with do you know Ashish Sui? Yeah, of course. He's great too. Yeah. They do one together. I think yeah, for the Leicester sketch off thing. Oh cool. So it's been it's been well it's been interesting it's been fun talking to you I mean it's it's been about an hour but <laughs> it, it 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 did not feel that it felt like it felt like it was fifteen minutes yeah we 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 chatted very quickly didn't we we talked about we covered everything I feel like we've put the world to rights one one th so one thing I like to do in my podcast is I like to ask two sort of life story questions so okay go. On. One of the questions is, what is a quote that you'd like to live your life by? Namaste. I'm trying to think of another quote that isn't the quote that I'm thinking of because I want to sound more interesting than I actually am. Uh, but I can't, so I'm just going to give you that. I've got it tattooed on my ribs and it's a Shakespeare quote. And I got it before I started being a Shakespeare practitioner, so it was original then. And then I got to the Globe and other people had it tattooed somewhere on them as well. And I was like, oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake. Um, but it's to thine own self be true. Uh, and it will follow as night to day. Thou canst not then be false to any man, but to thine own self be true. I feel like if you're doing that, then you got the first bit sorted. So the message of that is just to be yourself. Yeah, or make decisions that are based on your truth don't make decisions based on anyone else's okay. unless you're wrong in which case make a decision based on the person whose truth is more correct than yours uh, one other question that's i've not heard of that quote it's funny whenever i've done this part of the stage most of the time it's always come up with something different and that's definitely one of the different moments i've not heard of before um, one of the other questions I'd like to, like to ask is what advice would you give to the younger Katie? The younger me? Yeah. So if you came and saw your younger self along the street, trying to pursuing her career, trying to be in performing arts, and you had to stop her right now and you had to give her some advice, life advice, what would you say? How old is she? Okay, so when she was a little girl and when she decided she wanted to be an actress and form your artist? Um, it's going to be even harder than you think, but just keep going. Which is actually some advice that someone gave to me a few years ago. They said this industry isn't loyal, but keep going. Uh, and the little, little girl it's good that they're laughing. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. It's good. <laughs> it's not a bad thing that they're laughing. Like, it's that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so you would just say, look, young lady, don't worry. It's a good thing that you're laughing because it will lead to this and that. I'm the future <laughs> you. You don't have to be like, the serious actor and there's a route for everyone maybe that's a bit of good advice there's there's a route for everyone 
stop comparing yourself to everyone else and thinking just because you didn't do what they did that you're not going to do something that you like just as much. And also, uh, what's it called? One thing I would like to add to that. You, you know that there's two actors in the Game of Thrones that did, do comedy. Like Dolores Ed and Theon Gravejoy's sister, a comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the two things overlap quite a lot, don't they? I think a lot of actors would never do it because it's, it's so exposing. It feels so exposing to be like, I'm going to go up there and tell jokes and expect you to laugh. Like, that's quite a scary thing. But actors are vulnerable. <laughs> actors are... Yeah. We put, uh, we, actors put themselves through the ringer in a different way. So... I think both comedians and actors are very sen sensitive. That's one thing they share in common. Let you go. <laughs> very emotional people. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's something I've become more aware of. Like, there's a saying in it sometimes, you try and be honest sometimes, but then if you say the truth, you have to say it in the right sort of way. And sometimes you have to be very cautious about when you give the truth or something like that. Because otherwise yeah. it's going to really be very... Yeah, it's sometimes it's better not to. It, a lot of the times, it, it's they say honesty is, honesty is the best policy, but I'd say maybe you, it's better to try and be honest, but a lot of the times it's not. In the times where you think you should say something, it's often not the right case because people hold resentment and some people get very sensitive. Like, I think empathy is the best policy. Actually, yes, empathy is the best policy, but with boundaries. Empathy with boundaries. Empathy and, with boundaries. And good intentions. Empathy, boundary, good intentions, but... Yes, that's, that's a good... That's... But yes. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's yeah. An, and do, you, do you have any... That's, that's fantastic, that, honestly, that's brilliant. It's... Well, it's been it's been an interesting chat. Some moments have been it's been ebbs and flows. We don't know what's going to happen, where it's going to go. But um, one thing I want to ask of you as well is: there anything you would like to plug? Um, season three of Diversify is going to come out in August, and we've got some really cool guests on it. We've got two comedians as part of the mix. We've got Kai Samara and Maisie Adam. And yeah, Diversify is about trying to be better at understanding everyone and sort of going at it with a with an open mind and, and trying to I do have my elevator pitch for this sorted, it's just gone out of my head. It's it's about championing diversity but in a non preachy way. Okay. And it's so also it, fun. It's like it's mainly with funny people. So, so effectively, guys, um, she's spreading a message, but not like those people giving flyers on the street for Christianity. She does it with a bit more panache, style, and truthfulness. Yeah, keeping it real. That's an Ali G quote. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Keep it real, guys. <laughs> So thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. I will send Thanks you clips of cool. when it's finished. And also, 
I may send some short little clips if I think there's a, with messages there to help other people and I'll send you them as well. Yeah, great. Cool. Enjoy your Monday. <laughs> you too. See ya. See ya.